Hey everyone, welcome to Take a Second, a weekly Come Follow Me podcast meant to strengthen our personal connections with Jesus Christ, as well as deepen our appreciation for His role in our Heavenly Father's universal plan of salvation. I'm Brian Ricks, and Stuart Black is here with me. Thanks for joining us, and let's get into uh, let's get into this week's scripture block. Hey everybody, welcome back to Take a Second for Come Follow Me. Today we're going to do Luke 10. And we will have really good intentions about giving you Matthew 18, but we won't. I was, I was going to wonder how you were going to phrase, like, Matthew 18 is awesome. So whether or not we get Don't to it in the it. podcast, yeah, it's, it's um, incredible. One of the and, uh, a great parable. And the church's first experience, one of the churches, one of the seminary institute's first experiences with CGI in that video. Remember with the... Oh, and, mm-hmm. and you can tell yeah, it's an yeah. early experience yeah. with CGI. We'll put the link to that if you're if you're looking for ways to Nostalgic. kind of yeah if you're looking <laughs> for a way to show that you know keep your family entertained with a fun little video about Matthew 18. We'll put that link to that uh, that SNI video uh, down below. But let's talk about the Good Samaritan. Let's do it. I, I'll just I'll start because I know start. there's okay. this is one of the. The, I think we mentioned this with, with Peter walking on water. This is one of those stories that there are so many different ways to take it mm-hmm. and parts to focus on and just beautiful elements in the details of it that it's tough to be like, all right, which part do I start? And so I, I'll just kind of give an overview and then we'll, we'll dip okay. down. The chapter before in Luke 9, this is the one where um, they're walking through and usually the Jews like circumvent most of Samaria, right? So they don't have to cut through there. And they cut through and they ask for some help for Jesus. Jesus and help for them, like take care of us. And the Samaritans don't treat them well. And James and John decide, like, should we call down fire from heaven? Let's it's burn like, these let's guys burn up. It up. <laughs> it's like and, the missionaries. Yeah, that's my feet. That's my feet. And and Jesus is like, no, that's not what you're going to do here. <laughs> like, think of everything else we've taught. I just love that story because in this next parable, it's obvious that Jesus is the Samaritan. Mm-hmm. But in the previous chapter, the Samaritans didn't treat him well. And I think that's such a fascinating lead into it that he's not saying like, oh, Samaritans are perfect. He's just saying like, you've got to change how you're viewing people. Yeah. And, and that, that idea is one of them. And then here's the other quick one. In 25 where it starts, and behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tempted him saying, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said unto him, what is written in the law? How readest thou? And he answering said, love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy strength, and with thy mind, and with thy neighbor as thyself. He gives the first two great commandments. And therefore, um, one of my professors at BYU, Sister Strathern, she pointed this out. She said, the word certain in verse 25, in verse 33, and repeated twice in verse 38 is a connecting word that Luke uses in all of these that Jesus then is going to answer these two, the first great commandment, which is to love God, and then the second is like unto it, to love your neighbor as yourself. This first parable is about loving your neighbor as yourself, and the story with Mary and Martha at the end is about how to love God. And so the rest of this chapter answers the first question, and the word certain connects all of it. So sometimes I know we separate Mary and Martha and, and that story, but there is a connecting element there that Luke is trying to do with certain. I like that. I, it's fascinating to see how many times the word certain pops up in the Savior's parables. Uh, the parable of the prodigal son. A certain man had two sons. Um, this, that, that idea... Um, it, it ought to jump out at you. There's something there to be studied. When it when it shows up in a parable, stop and ask yourself why. Um, I like starting in verse 25. I think too often when we teach the parable of the Good Samaritan, we jump to Jesus, a certain man went down from Jericho. But this encounter starts with the question. And, and as we study the scriptures, one of the things, especially the teachings of Jesus, we need to ask ourselves what question or what situation brought up this specific teaching. Yeah. Jesus is responding. He gives this parable in response to the lawyer. 
And so the parable of the Good Samaritan is an answer to the question, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And, and I love this because like you were saying, there's a lot of ways to teach this. There's the, the, what I think is kind of the real standard way, the way that's been taught in primary, and it's this idea of how we treat other people. What you just said, it's the answer to how we love. It's the first, second great commandment. Yep. How do you love your neighbor? Well, you take care of him. When he's beaten, when he's, when he's laying there half dead, uh, you reach out to him, you take care of him, you bind his wounds and you get him to some place where he can be fine. Uh, another way to look at this is to look at it as a, I would almost refer to it as a temple text. This story could be put in the temple to teach the role of the Savior and in our lives. So in verse 30, when it says a certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and, and anything I'm about to say, is, I'm not, it's not original to me. This comes from Jack Welch, a great article he wrote. I'll, we'll also add a link to that article. And there's a lot of like biblical commentaries about this story in particular, yeah. that how it relates yep. to a lot of things. And a lot of that can be found in the footnotes to Jack Welch's article. I, my favorite part about his article is he talks about the, the stained glass yeah. that kind of prompted him down this road. Uh, he was in a Catholic cathedral somewhere. That I want to say it's in France. I, I can't remember. It's somewhere over okay. in Europe. Never mind. We'll say it's Europe. <laughs> it's in Europe. It's, it's a European <laughs> cathedral. We don't um, have a lot of cathedrals here in the United but States. But it's, yeah, it, it has, <clears throat> one one side has the, the, the parable, or this Good Samaritan going, you know, certain man coming down, falling among thieves, and then the Samaritan showing up and taking him to the inn. And then the other side actually has Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden falling, leaving the Garden of Eden, and, and then their ascension, uh, or their coming back into the presence of God. And and Jack Welch said it, it, it kind of ignited something for him, where he then started a search going back into some of the um, older commentaries about the Bible, and found a lot of places where the Good Samaritan is attached to the story of Adam and Eve. And so therefore, the Good Samaritan... That's a, it's a flip of reversals. Instead of us being the Good Samaritan and going out and helping and loving our neighbor, we're the one that falls among thieves. So verse, and just kind of quickly, I'll run through a couple of things. Verse 30, Jesus answered, a certain man went down from Jerusalem. The certain man is Adam from Jerusalem. Jerusalem is the place of the temple, which is the presence of God. So Adam leaving the presence of God and going down or falling to Jericho or mortality. And, and with a note with that, I have written in my scriptures, um, now I can't read it. It's 2,100 feet or 2,400. Yeah, I'm You're like, getting old. who wrote this this small? <laughs> uh, it's either tw the elevation of Jerusalem is either like 2,100 feet or 2,400 feet. And Jericho is below sea level. Mm -hmm. It's 800 feet, more than 800 feet below sea level. So this idea of you're up high, the holy city, and now you're descending below, like going very far. Yep. So this is just in connection to this idea of Adam yeah. and um, leaving a a holy great place and then being and removed. Then and I'm, I, I always tell my students, I, I just say, look, what is the interesting or kind of unique or weird detail that the Savior gives in verse 30? Like what, what is the description? And it's, uh, to me, you know, he falls among thieves, they stripped him, they wound him, and they leave him half dead. Or half alive. <laughs> or half alive. Yeah, is the glass half full or is it half empty? <laughs> What an interesting, like, you could have said almost dead. You could have said kind of dead. Like, Nearly. why half dead? It's that Princess Bride when they're like, joking about that. <laughs> he's almost, he's almost there. Yes. Um, and it's uh, true love, right? He's like, yeah, they push on it. Yes, yes, yes. yes. Um, so we talk, I, how many deaths are there? There's two deaths. Yeah. And if there are two deaths and you're half dead, 
that means you're one dead. Mm-hmm. You've experienced one death, or the first death, right? Yeah. The spiritual death of, of you've left Jerusalem. You're not in God's presence anymore. Yeah. So it, it switches this whole thing to you found somebody who is spiritually dead or removed from the presence of God, which means to heal him, the solution to that is to bring him back into the presence of God. And so everything that the Good Samaritan is going to do is to, is to that vein or is to that purpose. So verse 31, it also changes. We kind of have a negative slant on the priest and the Levite, but this angle, there's, an, a, there's another way to look at it in the sense that the priest and the Levite actually have nothing to offer. They can't help the spiritually dead. Only Christ can. And, and this is the connection then for the Old Testament. This is the, the law of Moses cannot save them. Yes, this, yeah, this is the it, great it Book of Mormon mm-hmm. right insight yeah. of we, we keep the Book of Mormon or we keep the, the law, law of Moses, Moses yeah. because we're supposed to. We're obedient to it, but we get the fact that it's vain. And we it's get all looking it's, forward yep. to Jesus. Yeah, that's the idea. Yeah. The law is, as Paul says in, in Galatians, it's a schoolmaster. Mm-hmm. The idea is it's bringing you there. These things cannot help him. Yep. I love it. So now verse 30, verse 33, a Samaritan comes. And, and I, a there's certain a, Samaritan. Yes, yeah. a certain yeah. Samaritan. Uh, I, I love the fact that to a Jewish lawyer, the Savior uses the source of who's the source of salvation in this who's the one that understands god's real law it's not a jew it's a samaritan um the one that would be despised of the jews just like jesus was despised Um, and and the samaritans too historically speaking they they stem from israelite lineage but they're also mixed in with the gentiles they are half and half well jesus is yes half and half yeah jesus is the son of god and the son of mary he is not like a typical Jewish priest or yep. Levite. Yeah. That's part of that as well. So we, what does the Samaritan come? Samaritan comes and he, the first thing he does, this is the first indication to me that the Samaritan is a type and shadow of Jesus. The first emotion the Samaritan has is compassion. Yeah. You see that over and over again when Jesus looks on the lepers, looks on the, the 5,000. What's the first emotion? When he stays it's with compassion. the Nephites. Yes. It's always compassion. And then verse 34, he went to him and bound up his wounds using what? Oil and wine. I don't know if you, as a kid, ever had a cut and your mom put alcohol on it. The, I always, I always think, you know, the reaction is always, ah, <laughs> yeah. you know, but right. necessary because it cleans. And then, if you've ever had a sunburn and you've had aloe vera oil or lotion put on mm-hmm. it, so you've got the alcohol in the wine, but then the oil, like the aloe vera on a sunburn, the the, the audible response to that is. Oh. <laughs> so you get the both the, the necessary cleansing, but also the soothing that's, that the Savior brings with him. And then to me, the part I love is this, my favorite line in this whole thing is set him on his own beast. The Savior or the, the Samaritan takes this man and puts him on the, on the beast. Uh, the beast is a type of shadow. For all of the Old Testament, the beast was the sacrifice. So the Savior places us on his sacrifice or on the merits of his sacrifice. And then, all the way back to the end, the Samaritan walks the path that that this, that this gentleman should have had to walk himself, but because of the Savior's sacrifice, didn't have to walk himself. There's this great analogy of the Savior taking our sins and our burdens upon himself. It, literally, the burden of the journey. He walks it. This is... For better or worse, whether you like the poem or don't, this is the this the is the footsteps, foot, footprints poem, footprints, right? Yeah. And uh, it's you know this is when I carried you, and the reality is is that when you're half dead, the Savior's carrying you the whole time. 
the whole trip back to the end and getting to a point to where you're getting back into the presence of God and, and able to stand on your feet, you're on the Savior's beast. You're, you're, you are carried back into the presence of God on the merits of Jesus Christ's sacrifice alone. There's, there's no effort that this man is putting forward that garners any kind of merit or respect. He is there 100% on, on, uh, on account of the Savior's efforts. And I love that. And then Elder Gong has this great, has the great talk about the inn. Uh, but I've had, I, one of the teaching ideas, one of the questions that I think holds some potential for this conversation is to say, who's the innkeeper? And, and it's easy to, it, I think sometimes we're really quick to say, oh, it's got to be this person. But, but resist the temptation to take the first answer and push for a few more. Who else is it? So uh, the answer might be, you know, some if the if the inn is the church, then maybe the innkeeper is the bishop. But what if the inn is our homes? Then who's the innkeeper? What if it's our, our the school? You know, we're surrounded by a bunch of young single adults who are in single young adult wards, and their families are far away. So, so who is it here? In, in a ward, um, in a school setting, in an institute setting, these innkeepers, you know, they're any number of people. It's not just one person. It's one of the great things about this analogy. It's like an onion. There's layers. <laughs> layers. <laughs> like ogres. <laughs> yeah, just like ogres. So, anyway, that's I, as that is my favorite. I love the Jack Welch article. I think there's some there's some real power in looking at this as the store. This is the plan of salvation. You and I get back into the presence of God on the merits of Jesus Christ in this Good Samaritan. And, and when you relate it to the plan of salvation, then it's easy to relate it to the temple as well. And yep. um, we had one of the temple recorders come and, and talk to us this summer, and one of the ideas he passed on is um, relate the Good Samaritan to the temple. He left home. He was stripped of clothing that bear markings to his house. Um, he's left pretty much naked. Then he's washed, anointed, and clothed by the Samaritan in preparation for the Samaritan's return. You're like, oh, well, that makes a lot of sense, too. Cool. <laughs> you just march through that, and you're like, well, that, that makes a lot of sense to me. Um, and, and we mentioned that's kind of the deeper way. If you're teaching this to, to other people, this is a great, I mean, just recently, a few weeks ago, President Nelson, be peacemakers. Yes. Care and, and love others. And that's, if even just the basic line of this is, is that. And, and what a great connection to make then of who's my neighbor? Well, it's everybody. Now, uh, our neighbors today are more than they've ever been because of mm-hmm. electronics, oh, yeah. because of online things. Um, I, You can get sucked into comments of everything, of people arguing and fighting about this school and this school, or these sports teams and sports teams, or pol- politics, or whatever it is. And, and one of the things that struck me was President Nelson said, like, you need to speak about people the same as like if you're in front of them. And like all of the time they're like, have be a true peacemaker. Um, I, I told you before, so just, just maybe some thoughts about this. Um, when I taught this two previous times in seminary, the most two recent times, I dressed up like a hobo and sat outside of the seminary. So I put on, I like just had my suit and everything and then pulled on like hunting pants over it and like a big old nasty coat and um, I had a hat and a bandana and like aviators like and then gloves like every part of my skin except for the tip of my nose was covered and the first time I did this I did this at West Jordan High School and I made sure I told the principal this is what I'm doing and I sat out there for the first 15 minutes of class 10 minutes of class while kids were coming in and so they all had to walk by me and the results were incredible so and I ended up doing it for all eight classes 
but not all, like I did it for everybody else's classes as well. Yeah. And I sat on the church's property. So that way, if anything happened, which, by the way, four years later when I did it, the cops were called. So that's a really story. Yes. Some, some parents were driving by and they were just like, there's a hobo guy sitting at the, sitting seminary. At the seminary. And it, the way that the current seminary is, it's on a very busy street. And so I was sitting in the grass, but people were like, I'm dropping my kids off and there's a hobo sitting out there. And I wrote on it like, um, in a bad place, be a neighbor. Is what I wrote on my cardboard sign. And, uh, and this is not about panhandling or anything. That's not the idea here. But the results that I got were fascinating. I had people, just students, walk by and ignore me. I had um, people go to the other entrance of the seminary, walk completely around me. Um, and then I had, if kids dropped some coins, or one of my favorites, a girl dropped a thing of corn nuts. She said, this is all I have. I hope you have a great day. I took all of this stuff and I went back and I said, okay, did you guys see that homeless guy out there? Who gave him the corn nuts? And I like, so I'd go in and then hurry and change in my office and just take off the outer the outer shell and then go in and, and talk. But um, the corn nuts one was an awesome one. But uh, so anyways, I had both extremes of it. My favorite one happened at the very end. There was this, uh, a young man, Polynesian. He was the center on the football team. Big, uh, awesome, strong, great participator in class and was always late to class was always five minutes late and so I knew I was gonna have to sit out there longer (laughs) so I sit out there and he's walking out with his friends and uh, he stops and his buddies are like come on let's go and when kids tried to talk to me I didn't talk to him I just sat there with the sign and he's like hey your sign says you need help how can I help I just sat there with the sign he's like brother brother and he starts like (laughs) like brother he's like and he doesn't know it's me that's the idea and he's like it says you need help how can i help you and he's like i don't have any money how can i help you and his buddy's like just just leave like he's just he's not going to say anything we'll talk we'll go tell brother black and then we'll come back and anyways he's like no i feel like we need to do something and he's like let's pray and he's like you say it and his buddy's like it's your idea you say it and now I'm like, oh, great, what do I do? So I'm sitting here, like, just turning red, like, how do I get these kids to go back into class? Because then I can go in and start class. And um, he sits there, and, and he's like, all right, I'll say a prayer. And these four incredible young men are all standing around me, sitting on the concrete, holding my sign, dressed as a hobo. And he just gives the most sincere prayer I've ever heard. Just tender. And he's like, Heavenly Father, this man's down on his luck. I don't know how to help him, but I know you do. Help inspire me how I can help him. And he's like, closes his prayer. He's like, amen. And I stood up and I took off the hat and like pulled down the bandana. He's like, Bubba Brock. And he like was blown away. And I was like, I gave him a huge hug. And I was like, you are a Christ-like man. I said, let's go into class. And he's, he's like, did you guys know? Did you guys know? And he's like looking at all of his buddies. And I just thought like, that's exactly what this story is. This is, he treats his neighbor as himself. Like, him and I were buddies. He would have done anything for me. I know he would have. But I also learned that day he would have done anything for for anybody, for a complete stranger. And I think, so, I think it begs the question. Sometimes we get excited. I get really excited about the plan of salvation aspect of this. And when we get excited about something or when we feel a connection to a certain interpretation, it's really easy to think that's the right way to teach this. Or the only way. Yeah. And that's not true. I, um... I was teaching a ninth grade class and I was teaching the plan of salvation, or I was teaching the tree of life. And I got really excited about a particular plan of salvation approach to the tree of life, uh, connecting it to Garden of Eden. And, but it was a ninth grade class. And I was super excited. And I taught this lesson. It was awesome. And Doug Wilcox was my, was my area director at the time. And he was observing me that day. Um, and 
after the lesson, which I thought it went really, really good. And he said, the first thing he said was, that was an awesome lesson. And then he said this, for an institute class. <laughs> and, and then he taught something I thought was really profound, and, and it's really affected me, especially now. Um, he said, don't forget that in your class, you've got, in your ninth grade class, there are some kids that don't even know that the iron rod is the word of God. And it hit me hard, and, and I came to realize, like, depending on who you're teaching and depending on who your class is, if you're a YSA group, a bunch of return missionaries, um, or a home ward, and you're teaching gospel with a bunch of return missionaries and married people, maybe that plan of salvation approach is the way to do this. If you're teaching this to a group of, you know, if you're in a family setting or you're in a primary setting, maybe you want to do something way more simple about how can you help the people, how can you help your family, how can you help each other, and what does it mean to be a good neighbor? And so there is no right way, there is no one way to teach this parable. Whatever level those that you're teaching are at, that's where you teach them. Um, and so, and and the great thing about each one of those different approaches is it, it means something different. There are different questions you're going to ask. If I'm teaching this to, if I'm teaching this, the aspect of who's my neighbor and how do I take care of them, well, instead of the oil and wine being the atonement, it's going to be what are, what are the things I do to soothe other people? People who are experiencing emotional trauma, what am I doing to help ease them and to help soothe the things that they're going through. That's the oil that I'm placing. Um, and, and so it's going to be, the questions I ask are going to, to really depend on who am I teaching, which really is the, the pinnacle of great teaching, right? That's yeah. And then great teachers, which I don't know that I'm there yet, but great teachers find a way to teach both ways to the same group and have them take it away. And that's where I think the Savior is is the example in all things. And, and that's the beautiful part of, of his parables, is that whatever surface level you're on, he can do that. But if you're above and beyond that, he's like, well, I got you too. Yeah. There are so many ways to, to take this. And again, that's that's the beautiful part as, as you're teaching. You know, you pray for guidance and seek for the Spirit and center it on Jesus. Yeah. And really, you can't go wrong yep. if, if you can do those things. Yeah. Um, just, just can to, we talk about Mary and Martha? Yeah, let's do it. I think it. we've got to get to them. Mm, let's do it. Please. Uh, well, I was just going to say, just as, as the connecting piece, I know that this story bothers some people, especially mm -hmm. because, like, if they knew Jesus was showing up at their house, they would vacuum. Yep. And they would cook a lot of good food, and they would be very bugged if not, like, if their kids and their spouse was like, I'm just going to sit on the couch and talk to the guests. He's like, yep. no, you're going to come help. That's what you're going to do. I want to talk to the guests, too, <laughs> and if you'll help me, I can we get both there can, sooner. Right. Yep. And, and so just just as we made that connection and, and to love God, I would just look at it and, and look at this verses 38 to 42 and figure out, are there certain ways that show a greater amount of love to the Lord in my interactions with him? What, what does he really want from me? And, and deep down, I know that in my mind, I'm like, yeah, I know I would, my wife would want me to vacuum. But most important, I don't, I don't think Jesus, depending on where he's been and everywhere else, he's not worried about clean floors. Mm -hmm. He's worried about clean souls. And he really wants us to give him the attention that he needs. That, that's why he says she chose the better part. She chose or the good part. That the, the part that really matters is the amount of time and attention that I'm willing to give to the Savior. And so for me, this has been like a way for me to just analyze and look at what type of attention am I giving the Savior? Is it all of the superficial things that I know are important in our society? But I don't know if they're more important than the type of attention or 
uh, heed I'm giving to him. So that's that's one thought for for those verses that I As like. I've, I, I think it's important to be careful not to criticize Martha. Um, I think Martha is most of us. And I think too often we let secondary concerns interrupt us in primary moments. It's not that Martha shouldn't have been cleaning the house. Right. It's that when the Savior finds, when it comes time for the Savior, for and, and I just think about this as like general conference. If it's, if it's Saturday morning, yeah, 9 o'clock, clean up. Get some things situated, arranged. But when 10 o'clock comes, stop cleaning. It's time to sit down and yep. listen. Yep. And and again, and I think I think a great connection, a great a great conference talk to go with this is President Oaks's Good Better Best. Yeah. October 2007. <laughs> the one. <you laughs> the yeah. one I wrote in there. The one the quote. And certainly Martha falls in that good category, which a lot of us do. Like, um, but it is so easy. It's the reminder that it is so easy to let those best things fall by the wayside of. For the good things. Life's too short to only do good things. Yep. That was one of the big takeaways I got from that talk. That yep. there's life is filled with those good things that you can do, but there are better and best. Yeah. I one of my concerns about young men and young women that I've that have come through my classrooms over the years, and even my own kids, uh, is that they're good, and they let being good get in the way of being what they could be. Um, their, their, their whole life, because they're not doing drugs and they're not being immoral and they're not stealing and they're getting good grades, and people tell them how good they are, they settle. And they don't ever become what God could make them or turn them into um, or help them become because they focus on those good things because that's what they're getting praised for. Yeah. And so often we have a tendency to replicate what we get praised for, and so, you know, I... Be careful not to let good, not not to allow being good get in the way of being great yeah. and being what you could be. And and just one of the scriptures there is in 41, and Jesus answered and said, said unto her, Martha, Martha, thou art careful and troubled about many things. This is one of those best use the footnotes moments mm -hmm. because you're like, you're careful. Doesn't God want me to be careful? <laughs> he says you're worried. Mm -hmm. You're worried and troubled about things. I, the Savior really doesn't want us to be worried about the wrong things. There's, there are certain things that we should worry about and certain things that you're like, okay, that worry is the good thing for you. But once you allow the cares and the worries of the world to choke out the most important things, it, that, that word there reminds me a lot of the Savior's parable in Matthew 13 about the cares of the world mm -hmm. choking out the seed that's trying to grow. And, um, and that's what we can't have happen. Let's see if I can remember where this is. I hadn't thought about this, but um, I had a, Paul Monson shared this with me one time. And he t it's Jacob teaching at the temple. Um, and maybe it's... This is when paper scriptures are nice because I think it's... Which column like it's in and what color? About <laughs> here. Um, he says... Behold, my beloved brethren, I will unfold this mystery unto you, if I do not by any means get shaken from my firmness in the spirit and stumble because of my over-anxiety for you. Um, sometimes, I like it's good to be careful, but sometimes worry and anxiety, um, those things can impede how we feel the spirit. Yeah. So, Truly the most important things, and that's... That's the issue in the story is what is most important, prioritize that way. 
I, I, I love this parable. I'm glad that we spent the time there. This is one of those great ones, and this is one of those messages that we can't get bored with. Yeah. That reminder to be a peacemaker, love God first, love your neighbors, and you'll make it back to the end. You'll be okay. In your study this week, don't skip Matthew 18. There's some great things. Forgiving others, super difficult doctrine, but uh, the, the manual has some great things. And we'll, like I say, we'll include that, that video, uh, the link to that video down below. But uh, this is what we had time for, and this is where we kind of by choice decided to spend our time <laughs> with. So thanks for joining us, and we'll see you next week. Have a good one. Well, thanks again for joining us on Take a Second for Come Follow Me. Brother Black and myself want to emphasize that in this episode or any other episode, there's nothing that we've said that is meant to or can in any way be interpreted as the official doctrine or policy or practice of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Uh, Brother Black and myself simply represent two guys that enjoy talking about Scripture and and on our own life experiences as it relates to the gospel of Jesus Christ and and hope that in sharing some of our thoughts and, and insights, but certainly our personal opinions and nothing more, that uh, maybe it might open up the scriptures a little bit to you. So thanks again for joining us on Take a Second, and we will see you in our next episode.